And there's three ways we engage with God, three very key and powerful ways. The first one is through worship, which we've done today. The second one is God's word, which we're gonna dive into deep today. And the third one is pray, it's prayer. I believe there is nothing more powerful and influential in your life than your personal prayer time. So today's topic, today's title, if you wanna get your notes out, is how to pray. How to pray, what a great question. Anybody in their life ever asked that question? How do I pray, how do I do this thing? All right, a few of us, let's try it again. How many of us ever asked that question? How do I pray, what's the right way to pray? All right, there we go, we're awake, ready to go. All right, very nice. I've asked it before, I still ask it today. What I wanna give you is kind of an answer to that question. Because honestly, I don't believe there is a wrong way to pray. I believe if you're praying, if you're attempting to talk to God in any way possible, it's good. There's no real wrong way to pray. But I believe there are more fulfilling ways that we can practice in our life to really see a significance and seriousness about our prayer time. Because everyone that I've ever come in contact with, with maybe the exception of a few, believe in the power of prayer, right? Like you walk up to someone and, and you tell them you've been praying for them, they always say thank you because they do believe there is something powerful about coming to God and lifting up the requests and desires and things that are going on in our life to truly pray and see God move and do something. What I wanna encourage you with today is in Hebrews chapter four, here's what it says, Hebrews four verse 16 says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. When I get to that word boldly, I want us to all say it together, all right? So let us come boldly, very nice, to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You may need help today and you may feel like you're trying to figure all this out on your own. This verse promises us that we can come boldly to God. Some of us, maybe we don't come to God because we're fearful of what he might say. Some of us, just like, again, what Ryan said earlier, we may not come to God because we don't feel worthy. What would God want to do with me? Some of us may not come to God because we feel like we've got it all taken care of ourselves. I want you to know today, you can lay all that down, take a deep breath today, and breathe in the boldness to come to your heavenly Father God, to approach him and see who he is and see what he has for you. I've been writing things down in my journal during these 21 days, and some of them have been like specific prayers that I'm seeing over our city that I believe God is praying to me and speaking to me, and I wanna speak over us. And here's the one I wrote down for today. It says, for local city in 2022, I see a church that understands its opportunity to bring the hope of Jesus local to our city comes from the power of the people in the seats, not from the person on the platform. I want you to know today, yeah, we can give that, that's, that's, uh, that's good, that's a word from the Lord today for us. There's power in your seat today because you're sitting there. There's power inside you because the Holy Spirit is living and breathing. My pastor says it this way, we get the power from God to us, through us, to others. There's power of the people here in this room and I want you to begin to tap into that. So how do you cultivate a lifestyle of prayer? That's what today's all about. How to cultivate, write down a lifestyle of prayer. Because prayer isn't just something that we do. I grew up at a, at a private Christian school, and I remember in kindergarten, first grade, the teacher would say, okay, who wants to pray for lunch? Or who wants to pray to start class? I'm gonna tell you, my hand was never raised. Because <laughs> I was afraid. Well, I don't wanna pray in front of everyone. What? No. What do I say? What if I do it wrong? What if I just say, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen. Like, that's not a good prayer. That's, that's not good. And I get so nervous. I get so fearful. Why? Because in my mind, it was a performance, and it wasn't relational. 
It wasn't a lifestyle. And I'm still learning what it means to have a cultivated lifestyle of prayer. And through it all, and through voices in my life that I've listened to and been mentored by, I believe we can trace it down to three things. How do you have a lifestyle of prayer? How do you cultivate a lifestyle of prayer? Number one, you gotta have a place. You gotta have that place where you go to every day, where this is where I spend time with the Lord. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you a story next week about a guy who his place was big old leather chair, lazy boy. Oh, sounds good on a nice, you know, chilly day outside like today. He'd sit in that chair and just encounter God. And he'd see miracle after miracle happen in his life. Breakthrough after breakthrough, because he had this place. And it wasn't, wasn't in church, wasn't outside. It was in a lazy boy recliner. This is where I meet with God. This is my place. See, it doesn't matter where. It just matters that you have it. Second thing is a certain space. There's time in your day where you seek God. I would encourage you to make that the morning. First thing, because you're gonna need it at work. You're gonna need it when people come into your life during that day. You're gonna need it when, just like Pastor Joe talked about, that person cuts you off in traffic. You're gonna need that space in the beginning of the day. And today, what I wanna gift you with, probably the hardest one sometimes, I wanna gift you a plan. Having a certain plan to lean into the things of God when we pray and to activate the power that you have. I wanted to share with you a story. Uh, there's a pastor I listen to. He's been really influential in my life, just listening to his messages and following his teachings. Uh, his name is Erwin McManus. He pastors Mosaic Church out in LA. And he's a really influential guy, not just in the church space, but in the marketplace as well. He's, a, he's insanely creative. He's a designer. And he gets invited to speak at things. And one of the things he's been invited to speak at a lot is TED Talks done the whole red rug thing and done TED Talks on creativity and the soul. And they're really powerful. I'd encourage you to go check them out. But I was, he was giving a message at the beginning of the year. And he was talking about how one year he was invited to TED with all, these, all this group of people that had talked at other conferences. And they were sitting around the table. And there was a guy across the table that he knew. And they had spoken at a TED Talk probably about seven or eight years before. And they were catching up, you know, doing the small talk like you do. How are you doing? How's family? How's your business? How's church going? And it went to this conversation where the guy was talking to Pastor Irwin and said, hey, uh, did you ever uh, look at those, that gift they gave us, you know, seven or eight years ago when we, when we spoke at TED? And he, you know, he was talking about how they always give you a gift. And, you know, when you speak at things and you go to conferences, they give you that gift bag of like a, you know, logoed pen and like things you'll never use. And so he was like, yeah, I, you know, I usually just throw those things away. Nothing really is ever important in there. And he said, well, did you know that they gave us some Bitcoin at that conference? This was like 10, 12 years ago. He's like, what'd you say? Yeah, yeah, they gave us some Bitcoin in our gift. They gave us a, a few of them. And, and he was like, well, uh, no, I never, can I go back and get it? He's like, no, you had to activate it within a certain amount of time. Well, just so you know, Bitco one Bitcoin right now is $40,000. 10, 12 years ago, it was like 40 cents, all right? So he had all this that he could have had, but he forgot to activate it. And he, he just kind of shared it because he was mad. But also, I share it with you today to let you know that if you activate what God has placed in your hand and gifted you, well, you'll be 10 or 12 years from now, will be worth way more than $40,000. It'll be worth an eternity, kingdom, eternal impact. And if you believe that today, let's close our eyes and pray as we open up our message. God, we invite you into this place. We invite you into this conversation. Teach us something new today as we take a deep dive into scripture about our plan to pray. God, I pray that you would be with all of our local city kids team as they teach our kids about Jesus and how amazing he is. And God, I pray that you would just be with us today and show us some new things about our prayer. God, we're fasting, we're leaning into you, and we're trusting you as we seek you first. And God, you know it's an important Sunday. It's 
playoff Sunday. And that's all I'm going to say. You know my heart. You know our desires. In Jesus' name, we all say and agree. Give me a good amen, and let's go into it today. Oh, yeah, let's go Bucks playoff Sunday. So we got to take just a few moments, a few moments. <laughs> Will you do me one last favor and just give a shout and welcome all of our family watching for Local City Church online. So glad you're with us today. Now, here's the thing about prayer that I love, and I want you to write this down. Prayer moves us toward God. Prayer is not just something we do to get things. Prayer is not our vending machine where we bring it to God and say, okay, God, I'll have a Diet Coke or an orange soda, and where it isn't, okay, cool, 75 cents, done. It's not how it works. Prayer is not about getting things. Prayer is about stepping deeper into our relationship with our Heavenly Father God and our best friend Jesus. And prayer moves us toward God. See, what I love about God is he loves to be found. Shepard now, you know, he loves to play hide and seek. And he's really bad at it, but I'm really good at it. But I don't, I don't play as well as I could because I want him to find me, right? When he says, okay, daddy, you go hide. And I'll run and hide and maybe I'll stand behind the door. I'll hide in his room under a little tiny blanket where my feet are sticking out or whatever. And when he finds me, I'm like, oh, I'm not like, oh man, you found me. I'm like, yeah, you found me. And he's like so excited, woohoo! He does that little woohoo. it's awesome. Because as his dad, I love being found. I love seeing the joy on his face. And God, our heavenly father works the same way. That he loves when we seek him. He loves when we get that chance to find him. Again, it's promised over and over in the Bible, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's the verse we text you this morning. Come close to me and I will come close to you. It's the beautiful promises of God. Just the other night, had a really amazing dad moment with Shepard. Uh, every night we read books, we read a couple of his books, and then we make sure we read a Bible story just to make sure those are really getting ingrained in him at a young age, and we spend time praying. And so we had gone through the nighttime routine, we had read the books, we had read the Bible, we had prayed, and usually he's so tired by that time, he's like, oh yeah, I'm tired, right? And Adrian carries him off to sleep and I'll just say goodnight from the couch. But the other night, uh, we did that normal thing and he was like, mommy, I'm tired. And she was carrying him away to his room and, and I said, goodnight, buddy. And he said, wait, wait, wait. And he made Adrian bring him back, bring them back to me. And, and he said, I gotta, I gotta say goodnight to daddy. And he said, daddy, give me a hug. And I gave him a big old hug and you know, I was like, I'm not gonna let you go. You're not sleeping tonight. I'm just holding you the rest of the night, right? And then he gave me like a big old little kiss, his little pouty, spit-filled lips that he has as a baby. And he said, good night, daddy, I love you. And they went to bed and I went on the couch and cried for a couple hours uh, before. But that's the beauty of what happens when sons and daughters move towards their father. It's the compassion that wells up in God. There was, there was a, a, a person on our home team, another dad on the home team who said, hey, just hold on to those moments because they, you know, when they get older, it's not as nice. <laughs> but I pray for us, we would never grow up out of that in our faith. We're always, we would say, oh God, good, thank you so much, Heavenly Father. I just love you. Everything I have is yours. And God had always had this intention of us being able to find him and know where he is. Uh, God always had this intention of prayer moving us toward him in a powerful way. From the very beginning of the Bible, the second book of the Bible, in Exodus, it says this. If you throw it up on the screen, Exodus uh, tells us this beautiful story of God's people and how he's always there for them. In Exodus 25, it says this, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and the furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. Now, there's two things to really lean into in this verse. Number one is God loves to live amongst his people. 
For too often, religion has taught us that God is up distant on a cloud somewhere with his finger pointed saying, yep, earn your way to get back here, do the right thing, and maybe I'll show up in your life. But that is not the God of the Bible, I gotta tell you that. That is not the God that I have experienced in my life. This is the God that I know that he loves to live among his people, that he wants to be there for them. He wants to be in community and relationship with them. And he's given us ways to do that. See, back in this time, this is written to a guy named Moses who is leading God's people out of slavery and into the promised land and everything God had for them. And God wanted them to know that they were not alone. I want you to know today, you are not alone and God is not as far away as you think. And the plan I wanna give you today is how to find him. And God wants to live among his people. So they built this thing called the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is very important for us because it was the portable church before there was portable church. Now, you may say, wow, you guys set up and tear down here in this high school every Sunday? Oh, yeah. Give a nice thank you to our home team volunteers who do that every single week so that we can have church. Well, the same thing was happening back in this time. They were setting up this tabernacle, this tent, everywhere that they went before it became the temple. So what we're doing is kind of biblical. It's pretty amazing, doing whatever it takes to meet with God and see him live among his people. And what happened in this tabernacle, this tent place, is pretty incredibly powerful. Later on in Exodus 33, it says that God would speak to Moses as one speaks to a friend. Come on, who would like to have that relationship with the Lord? Just so kind, so cordial, so, so connected. It's just like you're speaking to a friend you've had your entire life. That's what we want for you. That's what I want for you as your pastor. Today, I'm not giving you a whole thing, a bunch of rules to follow or rituals to practice. I'm giving you like intimate details and steps on how to have a vibrant, life-giving friendship with Jesus and relationship with your God. So you can know once again, it's not about the power in me up here. It's about the power in you sitting in the seat today that God's ordained you and destined you to live with and poured out over your life as one speaks to a friend. And again, it's Old Testament, so sometimes we forget about those things. But don't forget about what Jesus said. In Matthew, Jesus says he's come to accomplish all of their purposes. I've not come to abolish all these things and forget about them. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to accomplish them. And what we walk through today is only possible because of Jesus. It's only possible because Jesus went first. So what we're gonna talk about today is this thing called the tabernacle prayer. The tabernacle prayer. And this was the prayer process in which the priest at this time now the Bible, when it says priest, it literally meant the person who would represent the people to God, who would stand in the gap for the people. Now Jesus but scripture tells us in Hebrews, he is the ultimate compassionate high priest that he is now the one and only high priest who connects us with God. But all of the Old Testament was foreshadowing what Jesus was going to do. And now the Bible also calls us a priesthood of people, a chosen royal priesthood who now, again, has power in our life to pray with purpose and passion and significance and leaning in to what God has for us. So here's what the tabernacle looks like. Here's a drawing of it. Uh, this is a drawing of kind of that, the way it was laid out. So as you can see, it had kind of a tent fabric layout fence around it, a couple pieces of furniture in the middle, and then you stepped into the tent of meeting, which was where you would really begin to meet with God. And there's gonna be some things I talk about in there. So what we're gonna walk through today is seven steps of the tabernacle prayer through six pieces of furniture. Yes, if you love furniture, you're a big Ikea home goods person, you're gonna love today. And maybe you could put some of these in your house. I don't know, you might like that. But anyway... I digress, seven steps with six pieces of furniture. 
So the first thing that you'll see on this drawing is that around the tabernacle was this fence kind of thing, this fabric fence that was put around the entire tent, kind of a tent without a roof. And that was called the outer court. The outer court was what the thing that you first walked into. And the outer court means that it's time to give God thanks and praise. So what the priest would do is he would walk into the tabernacle through the outer courts and just begin to thank God. God, I thank you that I'm alive today. I thank you that I'm about to meet with you. I thank you that you are a good God. What, is it, what does it say in Psalm 100? Here's what it says. It tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Little disclaimer for the morning, there is gonna be a ton of stuff that I rattle through on the, the slides today. We're gonna send them in a link in an email tomorrow, and they're also on the YouVersion app as well that you can click a link to. So don't feel like you gotta, that's not on my notes. If you're OCD like me, where's that on my notes? How do I get that filled out, right? Don't worry, you can take a picture of it or we're gonna give it to you, all right? Because I want you to have this stuff because it's good. But the outer courts, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. What does that mean? Well, when I thank God, I'm praising him for what he's done, for what he's done. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you that I have breath in my lungs today. Thank you that you've created me. Thank you that I get to exist here in the beautiful world that I live in and I can experience you through the outside and nature and the beautiful things that you've given me. Thank you that you gave your one and only son for me so that I can have life today. And then praise is for who he is. Just like we sang, you're good God. You're a good God. You're a forgiving God. You're a compassionate God. You're a God who never fails. You're a God who loves beyond reservation. So thank you for what you've done, praising you for who he is. And then we continue to step deeper into that. In Psalm 103, here's what it says. It says that all that I am, praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does. This is really important. He forgives all my sins and heals my disease. He redeems me from death, crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Come on, who would love some of that youth renewed like the eagles? Come on, that sounds good to me, waking up in this life knowing that I've got strength. So what does this mean? When I'm praying through the outer courts of thanks and praise, it's saying, God, you are my salvation. God, that you are the one who is my healer. Let's throw those up there. God, you are my salvation. God, you are my healer. God, you redeemed me. God, you transformed me. And God, you satisfy me every single day of my life. Don't you see how starting your prayer that way ends, it starts you on a high note, starts you up here leaning into, man, I am stepping into a God presence who has done so much for me and who is so great in my life. You are this God, and now I'm gonna continue to move. And does that help you a little bit how to start prayer? A little bit of thanks, a little bit of praise. So the next thing you walk by, the next thing the priest would walk by would be the brazen altar. And it looked like this. Now, the only difference about this altar is that it would have something dead on top of it, whether it was a lamb or a goat or whatever sacrifice they performed. Because let me just tell you how God has set things up. There is sin in our life. I just got to tell you that. There is sin and wrong things that we've done in our life that have separated us from God. And sin has to be paid for. For God to be holy and just as much as he is loving and caring, sin has to be dealt with. And in the Old Testament times, the way they dealt with that sin was a sacrifice. And what would happen is that animal, they would have to walk by and realize this sacrifice happened because of the sin in my life, because of the wrong things that I've done, because of the times I've lied and stolen or hurt someone, the times I've thought negative thoughts about someone. And 
you know, this, this is paying the price that I deserve to pay. Now, thank God we live on the other side of Jesus, or otherwise we'd have to be killing some this morning, and that would be like, you know, probably wouldn't be good and wouldn't go well in the news. But Jesus gave his life so we don't have to do that. But what I would encourage you to do now, since we live on the other side of Jesus, is the brazen altar is the moment during your prayer when you focus on the cross. When you say, Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done, if we can throw that up on the screen, that you focus on the cross, that you focus on the fact that Jesus gave his life for you, the fact that Jesus took his sin upon himself, that the Bible tells us that Jesus became sin for you and for me. The one who knew no sin became sin so that we could have the everlasting righteousness of eternal life that God has given us. It's amazing to think that. It's amazing to know that. It's more than just a day we celebrate on Easter. It is why we're able to be here freely approaching God because the Son of God gave his life on the cross. And in three days, he didn't just die. In three days, he walked out of that grave alive so we can know that we are calling on an alive, living God today who is breathing and active in our life. If you're thankful for that today, come on, let's give God some praise today and thanks for who he is, for what he's done, the fact that he is the greatest act of love through his son, Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it says this. It tells us that Jesus was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole and he was whipped so we could be healed. Now, these are powerful things. What does this mean? Well, it's because Jesus was nailed to the cross, which signifies freedom from my past. He was nailed to the cross, which means we could be free from our past. I'm gonna give you these four things. They'll be up on the screen again. His nails signify freedom from my past. The spear in his side is freedom in my heart. What does this mean? I'm free from my past. God doesn't hold your past against you. You're free in your heart, so all those things that have held you down for a long time that you felt on the inside, you're free now. The crown of thorns that was placed on his head is freedom in your mind, that your thought life can be holy and positive again about who you are and who God created you to be. And the whip, the Bible says that it's by the stripes of Jesus we are healed. What are the stripes? The fact that he was whipped for you and I, that that's what brings our healing in our body. I want you to know today that when you pray through these things, you begin to see the spiritual depth of just what God was doing thousands of years before Jesus even came. And thousands of years after, we can walk through this pattern. We can walk through this plan to realize Jesus gave his life for me. Focus on the cross. The next thing is this thing called the laver. This is where the priest began to wash and cleanse himself before he stepped into the tent of meeting. And on this laver, there was little mirrors under the water as he began to wash himself. And what did the laver mean? It means that it was this time he was offering every part of his life to God. The next thing in prayer as we step through is to offer every part of my life to God. Everything that I am, God, I want you to have. In Romans 12:1, it says this. It says to offer God, dear brothers and sisters, I plead you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. This is truly the way to worship him. What I would encourage you to do, and I've been practicing this myself, is every day I just say, God, today I give you my thoughts. I don't want them to be negative. I don't want them to be hurtful. I give you my thoughts. Help nothing come into my mind that is poisonous or toxic. God, I give you my mouth. That Everything that comes out of my mouth, everything that comes out of my lips today would be rich and positive and kind. That everything my hands do, let me help as many people as I can. And God, as I walk, help me walk into the depth and fulfillment that you have for me. I offer every part of my life. The next thing is this thing was the candlestick. And the candlestick had these seven points of flame on them. 
And on each one, it represented the things that the specific person of God was doing in our life. The candlestick was this time where we invited the Holy Spirit into our life. We talk about the Holy Spirit here because he is a person. He is the the one that Jesus said, I'm gonna leave you someone who is greater that's coming so even greater works can be done. And that is the Holy Spirit. So what do you do with the candlestick? It represented the flame of the Holy Spirit to invite the Holy Spirit into my life. It was funny, our our devotional we're reading today for the 21 days was talking about praying to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we pray to God, dear Heavenly Father. There are times that we pray to Jesus, but rarely do we pray to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us breath and strength to move today. The Holy Spirit is the one who walks through every step of the day with us today to give us strength and might and this ability to actually live this life. See, in Zechariah chapter four, verse six, it says, it's not by force or strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Can I encourage you, some of you today, and free up some of you, whether you're watching online or here in this place, it's not about by your strength or by force that you're gonna do great things in your life. It's about surrendering and saying, God, would your spirit live through me? And it's only by your spirit that I can do anything. So I just wanna invite the Holy Spirit to begin to work in my life, to be able to move in my life in the way you've created me to live. As we continue on in Isaiah 11, it says this, it's a prayer that the spirit of the Lord will rest on you. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Who could use some more wisdom and understanding in their life? Who could use some more counsel and might, like helping you make decisions and might to continue on in the day when you feel like giving up? And the knowledge and fear of the Lord. Not fear like I'm afraid, but fear of reverence. God, I have no business being able to talk to you, but here I am and I know how thankful I am for that. And then what comes out of us, right? Then it's Galatians chapter five, the fruits of the spirit. God, I pray today I'd be known by these fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, slow down, patience. Woo, it's nice. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against those things. You wanna live a life that makes a difference? Begin to focus in on the fruits of the spirit. God, help me be more loving and kind, patient. Help me have some self-control. Woo, it's a lesson in our house right now. Self-control. Take a deep breath. Shepherd says, I'm gonna take a deep breath and count to 29. That's good, Shepherd. I mean, you probably, I, only, I used to say five, but 29 is good, however long it takes, right? It's a good thing to lean into. The next thing is the table of showbread. We're getting into the last few here. The ta- thanks for sticking with me. The table of showbread. After 21 days of not eating bread, I'm really excited about this one. This is great. Table of showbread. Freshly baked bread smelled so good. I remember there was a restaurant growing when I grew up. I grew up in Palm Harbor, Tarpon Springs area. There was a restaurant on US 19 over there called Hops. And the only reason I went there was for the bread. I, was, I just go there, bread and water. That was it. It was so good. That was all I went there. When the waiter was like, check, I was like, I don't, what, I don't need to check. The bread's free. I got water. I'm good, all right? I was a kid. I was a high school, all right? But that's the only reason I went. It was closed. I was so bummed. But here's the thing about bread. It, it, it's, a, it's the aroma of filling, the aroma that invites you into something fresh. So when you're going past the table of showbread, this was where you claim the promises of God. You claim the promises of God's word in our life. This is during my prayer when I begin to lean into what my, what my Bible says about who I am. And I begin to claim those promises that God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That God, you so loved me that you gave your son so I don't have to perish but can have eternal life. God, I'm claiming the promise that if you are for me, then who can be against me? God, I'm claiming the promise that your love is unfailing. God, I'm claiming the promise that when I pray, you hear me. When I cry out to you, you show up in my life. 
God, I'm claiming the promise that you are the creator of the earth. And if you're on my side, God, my little problems seem a little smaller. I'm claiming the promise that I believe in something that is bigger than my problems. And I'm claiming the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11 on the screen that says this, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they are the plans that are for good and not for disaster, to give you hope and future. Jeremiah wrote this to Israel, the people of Israel, and they were in captivity and in slavery. God says, in this moment, here's what you gotta claim. The promise that I'm with you. The promise that you have a hope and a future. I gotta tell you, when I read these things in my Bible, I really do this. I just grab hold of my Bible and again, I just say, thank you, God. Thank you for allowing someone like me, a broken and insecure person, to be able to have promises that will never fail me, to have a God on my side who loves me more than I deserve. It's this moment when you claim the thing that truly, the only thing that can truly change your life. And it's the word of God to engage in God's word. I would encourage you, download the YouVersion Bible app, get a paper Bible this year and see what God does. See how he moves in your life. And as we close out here, the next thing that the priest would walk by was the altar of incense. It smelled like Bed Bath & Beyond in there. Just, mmm. When my, when Adrian and I love to take Shepard to Disney Springs because it has Disney in the title and it's free. So we just tell him it's Disney. It works great. A little parenting tip for you. But there's a, a little soap store at Disney Springs called Basin that I always go to because they got this like salt scrub soap that, that you can try for free, of course. And, uh, and I love to just, ah, it just feels good. Wash my hands. I'm like, ah, just nothing like a fresh scent. I want you to know today, there's nothing like the fresh aroma of the presence of God. You were to walk into this room and something's, di something's different here. That's what we want for you in church. When you walk into worship, something's different here. Because at the altar of incense, it's where you worship his name. Not mine, not yours where we begin to worship his name, worship who he is. I gotta be honest, it's, it's in these moments where wherever I'm praying at, a lot of times in our office at our house, I get down on my knees and I say, thank you, God, that I can experience you today. I just worship your name today because I can't do this without you. I give you this, these moments, God. And I begin to pray out things like it says again in, in the book of Psalms where we lift up his name we lift up who he is, honor the Lord for the glory of his name and worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And see, God loves to give himself names. I think that's really cool. God does this all the time. And here are some what are called covenant names in scripture that you can worship God. Jehovah Sidkenu, he's your righteousness. Jehovah Makedesh, he's your sanctifier. Jehovah Rapha, he's your healer. Jehovah Jireh, he's your provider. I love these. These are the things that God's offered to you. Jehovah Nisi, he's my banner. It's one with the Bucks win the Super Bowl again. We're waving the pennant, but we're waving the pennant that God's on our side. We're already champions and conquerors in our life. He's Jehovah Shalom, he's my peace. Can I tell you, next time life's getting crazy, work's stressful, you don't know what to do, can I just tell you to breathe in? God, you're Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Jehovah Ra, you're my shepherd. Great parents name their kids that. Uh, and because it's a reminder that God's always guiding us. And then Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, this is my favorite one, honestly, the Lord is there. I don't know where I'm going, but I know the Lord's there. I don't know where, what tomorrow's gonna do. I don't know if 
We're finally going to be past this whole COVID thing by the end of this year, but I know the Lord's there. So that's why I have confidence. I know God's there. I know that he's not going to leave me. I'm going to worship his name. That's where you build that great Spotify playlist that when you leave, you're like, whoo, just feeling God today. It's powerful. It's good. Our worship team's great, but there's nothing compared to the power of your personal worship. There's nothing that breaks chains in your personal life like those moments. The last one is the Ark of the Covenant. Stepping into the Raiders of the Lost Ark moment here. The Ark of the Covenant is gold, giant case that literally carried the presence of God. Now, above the tent of meeting in the tabernacle, there would always be a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire to signify that someone was meeting with God in this room. And this was so important that they would walk past this veil into what was called the Holy of Holies. And when the priest would walk into this veil, if he had sin in his life or pride in his heart, it would look like the end of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you ever seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. He would drop dead like that. Because you can't bring sin into the presence of God. It dies. And they were so like reverent of this that they would literally tie a bell and a rope around the priest's foot. Because if he died, I'm not going in there to get him. <laughs> you? No. So we're going to tie a rope, we'll pull him out. I mean, it's in the Bible. You can read it. More so to convey the importance of what it means to step into the presence of God. And I want to tell you today that the reason I think sometimes we get frustrated with our prayers, the reason we get feeling like they're empty and don't do anything, is because we're only praying about our little world. It's a great question I was asked a long time ago. If God answered every one of your prayers, would just your world be changed or would the world be changed? And I'm telling you, what the priest did at the Ark, for the Ark of the Covenant is what we're challenged to do, and that's intercede for others. What does intercede mean? It means we stand in the gap for those who are on the outskirts. It'd be literally in those moments where the priest would grab a hold of the Ark and say, I'm praying for those out there. I'm praying for those who need you. I'm praying for those who are lost and broken, God. I'm praying for those who need healing. I'm praying for those who are about to give up and take their life. God, I'm praying for those marriages who need to be restored. I'm praying for those kids who need to come back to your house. I'm praying for the stress and anxiety and depression to end in our culture. I'm praying, God, for this pandemic to finally go away. I'm praying for those people who don't realize that there is a God who loves them, who is for them. I'm praying that they would know who Jesus is, that hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. I'm interceding. I'm standing in the gap, and I'm praying that you would change the world, God, because of what's happening here in this place as I meet with God. I want you to know today when you step into intercession, you begin to realize there is power inside of me. There's power through what I pray. Not because of me, because of where I'm at, the presence of God. You want to know the secret to living that holy and quiet, and powerful life God has for you? The Apostle Paul tells Timothy this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says this, I urge you first of all to pray for all people, not just the church people, not just the Christians, not just your friends, not just those people you like. All people, ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks to them for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Woo! I want that last sentence for my life. And it starts with just interceding for others. And here's the last thing I want you to write down is that a changed world begins with us and a changed us begins when we pray. Have that space, have that place, but here's your plan. 
I did this, I've done this all this week, walked through these seven things and did it this morning for you because I believe there's power in it. Would you stand to your feet as we close today? I just want to pray. We're going to kind of end in this moment here. And as we stand to your feet, as you stand to your feet, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down to our prayer tables down here.